Good morning, church. I hope your guys' Sunday is off to a great start. Today, this morning, we're starting a brand new sermon series, and it's going to be a two-week series to kind of help us transition uh, from these uh, from these coronavirus days into uh, the, uh, the the normal days that we have ahead. And uh, we're calling this new sermon series for these next two weeks essential because that's what we believe about the church. And that's what we're gonna be talking about these next couple of weeks is about the church and how the church is essential in our lives. The church is important. And we'll be discussing the, port, the importance of the church in our lives, in our homes, in our community, and in our society. The importance of the church. And sometimes we even do wonder, is the church really that important? Is the church important to my life? Is the church important to my family? Is the church important to my community and our society? And we're going to be discussing that uh, this morning even, uh, the importance of the church in our community. I believe now, more than ever, the church is important in our lives. I believe now more than ever that I've believed the church is essential. It is important in our community, in our society. In these days we are living through right now, the church is the answer. The church is important in these days. So it's like my, my brother, when we were kids growing up, my older brother, he enjoyed, he enjoyed drawing. And so what he would do is he would take a, a picture, a template picture, and he would place a piece of paper over it. And he would kind of sketch out that picture uh, by drawing over it. He had that template, the paper was over it, and he kind of drew it out. And so he always sketched out these really cool drawings of of uh, Goku, Batman, Spider-Man, and Pikachu. He always had these really cool drawings. Why? Because he had a template underneath that helped him uh, draw these amazing drawings. That's what the church is. It's the template for our life. It's the template for our communities. It's the template for our city, for our society. The church is the template for a successful, for a, uh, for a healthy community, for a healthy life, for a healthy family. Few things serve as a better example for our life and to our life and to our world than the example of the church. Jesus designed it to be our template. It's what we model our life after. So the question is, what difference does it make in our life? What difference does the church make in our life? What difference does it make in our family, in our society, and in our community? Why is the church important for us today? And the Apostle Paul gives us the answer to this in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, open them up, make your way over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and starting in verse number 19, I'll read this for you. Starting in verse number 19 and then verse number 20, we see the Apostle Paul addressing this exact issue of the importance of the church. Look at verse Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 19. He says, the Apostle Paul, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being himself the chief cornerstone. So here the Apostle Paul gives us the primary reason the church is important. 
Paul gives us the primary reason the church is essential to our lives, to our families, to our communities, and to our society. And the reason he gives us, the reason he gives us uh, is that Jesus is the foundation of the church. The reason church is important to our lives is because Jesus is the foundation to the church. The church is founded on Jesus Christ. And when I am a part of his church, I have found a firm foundation. See, that's what the church gives us through Jesus Christ is a firm foundation in life. He provides us with a solid rock, a firm foundation. We don't need to look for solid ground in other places or in other people or in other things. Jesus is our solid rock. He is our firm foundation. The church means you have a firm foundation. Maybe you're wondering why we're up here this morning shooting in this spot. It's because this is supposed to be, it's supposed to serve as a visual representation of what Jesus is for us. We're up here on this mountaintop, on this big old rock, essentially. This is a firm rock. This mountaintop, it's not going anywhere. It's a firm foundation. You see, that's what Jesus is to our lives. He is the rock. He is the mountaintop that does not budge, that does not waver, that does not move in our life. He is the firm foundation, and the church is built on that rock, Jesus Christ. You see, the church is different from any other organization or any other gathering or any other group because its foundation is Jesus Christ. The church is not founded on the ideas of our culture. It's not founded on the values of certain people. It's not founded on the shifting sands of this world. It's founded on Jesus Christ, our solid rock. You see this in the book of Psalms, chapter 18 and verse number two. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Make Jesus your firm foundation. Right now, it's easy to look at everything else that's going on in our world and to find other things to be our foundation. It's tempting to make other things our foundation. Jesus is still uh, the hope of our world. Our hope does not lie in a political party. Our hope does not lie in a government. Our hope is not in a particular movement. Our hope is not in an ideology. Our hope is not in a particular person. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the foundation of the church. You see, this is this is the importance of the church. This is the essentiality of the church, that the church is built on Jesus Christ. And this is the best place the foundation of the church can come from. Of all the the foundations that the church can have, this is the best foundation. This is the most firm foundation the church can have. Why? Because Jesus is an example of everything the world needs right now. Jesus is the template for everything the world is searching for right now. Jesus is the thing that everyone is looking for without knowing that they're looking for it. He is the example of reconciliation that our world needs. The entire reason Jesus went to the cross was to reconcile the world to himself. When we see Jesus clearly, we see others correctly. 
Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 18. It says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. The reconciliation that our world needs is exemplified by the cross of Jesus Christ, and he is the very foundation of the church. The church is the place where reconciliation ought to happen the most. The church is the place where reconciliation ought to come at the forefront. Reconciliation is at the very heart of the gospel. You cannot separate the gospel from reconciliation. You cannot separate Jesus Christ, the cross, from reconciliation. Jesus came to broken, separate, and sinful humanity and reconciled us to the Father so that we could have a relationship with God. This is the example. He's given us to follow. This is the example he's given us, his church, to follow, to reconcile all people to himself. This is the example he's given us to follow, to see those who are hurting, to see those who are broken, to see those who are set apart, and to bring healing to those people. If we do not value reconciliation, how can we value the cross? I remember years ago when I was working at a different job, I was... Uh, part of my job was to solder metal together. And I, this was always a fun part of my day because I enjoyed soldering metal because you got to uh, wear the big mask, the soldering mask. And it had the had the uh, the little guard over it and it was guarding your face and you had the little soldering gun and you put the two pieces of metal together. And soldering essentially is you put two pieces of metal, broken metal, separated metal, you put them together and you take your soldering tool and you tap the the corners of those two pieces of metal. And sparks would shoot out everywhere. This is what I, one of the things I liked about it. Sparks would shoot out everywhere and it would uh, release a superheated metal to bind the two broken pieces of metal back together. It was such a cool thing to see it happen. All the pieces of metal coming together and uh, this, this uh, soldering tool bringing and reconciling these pieces of metal together. That's what the job of the church is, is to reconcile people back together. And it is the job of the church to reconcile because it was the example Jesus gave us to follow from the cross, to reconcile all people. That is who we are as the church. We are called as a church to bring together that which is broken, whether that is a husband or a wife, a parent and a child, a sinner and a savior, or a race and another race. We are called to the ministry of reconciliation. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is our ministry. This is the job Jesus has placed in our uh, lap and on our shoulders is to uh, reconcile peoples back together. Now is not the time for pride. Now is not the time for hate. Now Now is not the time for rejection. Now is the time for reconciliation. And this is what the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 20. But now, let's read chapter 2, verse number 19. Because this is where it gets practical. This is where it gets very practical for us this morning. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 19. Look at this. Now therefore, Paul says, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God. So in this verse, the Apostle Paul uses two different metaphors to explain, to describe what we are given uh, as uh, the moment we come to Jesus Christ. 
Paul uses two metaphors, citizens and families. First, he says we are no longer foreigners in a strange land. He says we are citizens in a new land. We are citizens of a new kingdom. And then he says, after he says we are citizens, he says we are no longer strangers, but members of the household of God. We are family. The Apostle Paul says we are citizens and family members. The moment we come to Christ, the church gives us, Jesus gives us through the church, these two things. The church means you have a place as a citizen of a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, and you have a people as a member of the family of God. The church means you have a place and you have a people. God has designed a place where you belong and a people we are to do life with. You see, it's like, um, it's like if you've ever gone to a foreign country. I've gone to maybe a couple foreign countries in my days. And uh, whenever we go to a foreign country, there are many things I don't like about that foreign country because I'm simply not used to it. We go to a foreign country and you eat some of the food and it's not the same food that you're used to and it's, it, it's foreign to you. You don't really care for it. You go to a foreign country and the language, you don't understand the language. You go to a foreign country and you see some of the, uh, the cultural habits and the norms of that land and it doesn't make sense to you. You don't understand it. You don't really enjoy it because you're a stranger. You're a foreigner. You don't belong in that land. So you don't understand everything that's going on. What I enjoy at the end of that trip, I enjoy the entire trip. But at the end of the trip, I'm like, you know what? I want to go home because I understand the people at home. I'm not a stranger or a foreigner there. I understand everything that's going on. I understand what it means, what everything, why everybody does what they do. So as a believer, we have a different people and a different place. We are no longer strangers and foreigners to Jesus Christ. We are uh, fellow citizens. We are family members of the household of God. You see, before I am anything in my life, I am a child of God. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have a different place and a different people. Your people this morning are the people of God. Your place is the kingdom of God. Before I am a pastor this morning, before I am a husband, before I am a son, before I am an American, before I am Mexican or Italian, before I am a Californian, I am a child of God, before I am anything else, most importantly, above everything else, I am a child of God. I belong to Jesus Christ. I am a member of the family of God. My home is not this world. My home is not California. My home is not America. My home is beyond the stars. My home is in heaven. I belong to that place foremost and firstmost. This one truth, this one principle has the power to change everything in our life. This one principle has the power to reconcile every relationship and every racial disparity on our earth. Why? Because if you are a member of the family of God first, that means everybody else who is a member of the family of God is our brother and sister, regardless of who they are. This means that whatever blood flows through your veins We share the same spiritual DNA. You see, Galatians chapter 3, verse number 28, puts it the best. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. The church means we have a place and a people. And that place and that people comes before any other place or any other people we associate with. 
That is why we can have reconciliation with all people, with all races, because we all, we all share the same spiritual DNA in Jesus Christ. This is our heavenly identification. And our heavenly identification supersedes and transcends any earthly identification that we have. Before we are anything else in this life, we are the children of the highest. And while, while at the same time, watch this, while at the same time, our heavenly identification, it is our heavenly identification that gives meaning to our earthly identifications. This means no matter who we are, we all have meaning. Who we are has meaning. Because we as believers are a part of the family of God and all people are created in the image of God, our heavenly identification gives value to our earthly identification precisely because it is more important. Who we are in Jesus Christ informs everything else we are. It gives meaning to everything else we are. So then whether you are black or white, English or Asian, Mexican or Italian, Middle Eastern or some other place, these are not identifications to be ashamed of. They are the gifts of God, and they are to be treasured and cherished, precisely because they are not as important identifications as our heavenly identifications. It's like, um, it's like me and my wife were a part of a, a book club many years ago. And please don't judge me for saying that we were a part of a book club. I promise I'm not a nerd. We were part of a book club for a couple of years, and uh, we paid a monthly fee for this book club to send us a special edition uh, book, classic, a classic uh, literature book. Uh, it would send us a special edition book every single month. We paid a fee for this. And every single month, this uh, special edition book would come in the mail. We'd always be so excited about it. And every single month, it was a different book. And it was a, it was a, different, um, it was a different classic literature book. Sometimes, and, and it was so cool because the uh, the book always looked different. The shape and the color, everything used to be different. Uh, every single book that came in, it was always different. Some of the books, Alice in Wonderland, maybe it had the, it was all leather binding, and it looked really cool. And it, sometimes it was, sometimes it was red. Sometimes the next month it would be green leather. It might be a little smaller. Sometimes the next month it would be blue, and it'd be a, a really big book. But what made these books special? What set them apart? wasn't necessarily the color of the book, wasn't necessarily how big or small they were or how uh, large or thin the books were. What, what set these books apart, what made these special edition books special edition books was inside the book flap was this piece of paper, a slip of paper that bore the image of this special edition company. Easton Press was the name. And whenever we got a book, we would look inside the book. We'd look inside that special edition book for that authorized slip of paper that bore the image of Easton Press. And we knew every time we looked inside that particular book and we saw that slip of paper, it was one book of 100, only 100 made. You saw it bore the image of Easton Press. We said, oh, this is a special book. Not because of how it looked, but because of the image it bore. That's what made it special. That's what gave it value. The image it bore gave value to everything else about the book. You see, all people bear the image of God. Therefore, each individual has incalculable worth. 
what brings worth to our life is the image we bear. And the image we bear is the image of Jesus Christ. And because that is our image, each individual has incalculable worth. You can burn this whole world down to ash. And one life is worth more than all of it. Because each life is made in the image of God. You see, this is what the Apostle Paul understood. After he tells us who we are in verse number 19, he tells us what we are to do in verse number 21. So look at verse number 21, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 21. He says, the Apostle Paul, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So in this verse, Paul uses another metaphor to describe who we are in regards to the church. The metaphor is a, is a building under construction. We are God's building and usable when fitly framed together. Do you see that? You see that phrase? He says, Paul says, we are fitly framed together. Interesting phrase, right? Fitly framed together. What does that mean, fitly framed together? What does God mean that we are usable when we are fitly framed together? It's like when you build something. Maybe you have a project around the house. Maybe you're going to do one after church. You have a project around the house. Maybe you have to put together some pieces of wood. You know what allows you to use that project once it's finished? Is when it's all put together correctly. When it all fits together in unison. It's all tightly fit together. Obviously, if that project, if that piece of wood, if that woodwork wasn't fit together properly, if it wasn't unified, well, it wouldn't be usable. By definition, you wouldn't be able to use it because it didn't work properly. But when it's fit tightly together, when it's fitly framed together, that project becomes usable. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying here? Paul is saying that we are most usable in this world when we are living in unity with others. When we are unified, we are usable. You see, God's design for the church is that it be unified. His design for us as believers is that we be fitly framed together with other believers, that we would be tightly knit with other believers and living in peace with all people, that we would be soldered together, unified with all people, that we would be fitly framed together. Why? Why is it important that we are fitly framed together with other believers? Because that is when God is able to use us, the church in this world, when we are fitly framed together, when we are unified, we are usable. If we are not living in unity with those around us, we are not usable by the one above us. You see, one pastor put it this way. He said, how can we say we love God who we can't see if we don't love God's people who we can see? Is there someone you are not living in unity with? Ask yourself this morning, is there someone, is there something in your heart against someone around you? Pursue unity. Pursue to be fitly framed together with all people, with all believers, with all who are in the family of God. Paul says that the church is a building fitly framed together. That is our goal. That is the heartbeat of God. It's like seeing, um, any of you guys ever seen a, an arch bridge before? These bridges make no sense. If you guys ever seen an arch bridge, an arch bridge is just a bridge that kind of goes like that. Nothing holding it up, seemingly. Nothing suspending it. No braces on the bottom of it to hold it up. It's just this arch bridge and it's held up by itself. And I've always wondered, what holds this thing up? How does this thing not collapse when the slightest bit of weight is brought upon it? How does this not collapse? And so I looked into it 
And the reason it doesn't collapse is because when there's weight on this bridge, the load of that weight is dispersed throughout all the pieces of stone that are that make up this bridge. So that, in a sense, each piece of stone holds up the other. It is all holding each other up. It's not necessarily holding itself up. It is holding each other up. And when it holds each other up, it is allowed to bear an immense and incredible amount of weight. So this arch bridge, no matter how much weight you put on it, it always stands tall because it holds all the other pieces up together. You know what God is saying this morning? This is what the church is supposed to be an example of. It is an example of people who will bear the load of others. It's an example of people who will hold each other up when they're hurting. It is an example of people who will bear the weight of someone who's hurting. Right now, our African-American brothers are bearing a load. Let's help bear that load. Let's help lift each other up. Right now, there are people who are hurting financially. Let's help bear that load. Let's help uh, hold each other up. Right now, there are people who are going through things that we may not even see, only God may know. Let's help bear all people up, regardless of who they are. This is the ministry that God has given the church. This is the goal of the church. The Paul said, we are to be fitly framed together, living in unity, bearing each other's loads. You see this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24. The apostle Paul says again, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We are to bear each other up, to provoke each other unto love. When we see someone that's hurting, provoke them to love, provoke them to good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. This is why the church is so important. That's why we're gathering together this morning. That's why we're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together with other believers. Because when we are together with other believers, that's when we are able to bear the load of the people in the church. This right here is why we need to be connected to our church. Because that is the place and the people who provoke our world to healing and reconciliation. Did you catch what it said at the end of verse number 21? Let's read that again. Look at that. Verse number 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together, watch this, groweth unto in holy temple in the Lord. When we are fitly framed together, we grow into a holy temple of the Lord. When we are fitly framed together, we are something that God receives glory from. When we are unified God is glorified. You see that? He says, groweth into an holy temple of the Lord. When we are fitly framed together, when we're living in unity with other believers, God is allowed to receive glory from that example because we are representing Jesus Christ. When we are unified, God is glorified. God is made big. He is magnified. He is, he is, he's zoomed in on when the people of God, when Christians live in unity, when they are fitly framed together with other believers, when the church is unified, God is glorified. I don't know if you've ever walked into a cathedral before. I've walked into a few cathedrals, and cathedrals are amazing structures. When you walk into a cathedral, you look, you're in awe the entire time. You're looking at all the ornate architecture. You're looking at all the details. You're looking at all the marble and all the, the rock work, the stone, and the woodwork. You're looking at everything that's just, it's so old, and yet it's standing tall. It's an amazing structure, a cathedral. But what really attracts your attention 
is not what's around you. What's most notable about a cathedral is when you start to look up. And your eyes are always directed to look up in a cathedral. Because the most to see in a cathedral is not what's around you, but what's above you. Because you can see, you can picture a cathedral in your mind. It has this steeple that shoots up out of the sky into the air, uh, into the air above all other buildings in the city. In this cathedral, when you're inside of it, your, your, your eyes are directed upward so that you, you're, you're, you're looking at the ornate beauty and you're looking at the light that's, that's coming up through the stained, uh, the, the stained glass ceiling and the stained glass windows and you're looking at the glory and the, the majesty and the awe of the light shooting through that cathedral. You know, that's what the church is supposed to do. The church, when we as the church are living in unity with other believers, you know what we're doing? When we are living at peace with all people, when we are living in reconciliation, when people look at us, the church, their eyes are directed upward. Their thoughts and their hearts and their minds are directed upward so that they do not see us, the church, they see Jesus Christ. And that's the goal of reconciliation with all people, is not to direct people to us, but to direct them to Jesus Christ. And that happens when we are living in unity with all people. That's what we do as a church. That's what we do with our lives when we seek reconciliation and live in unity with all people. They look at us, but they find Jesus Christ. They look at us. We see all the world out this morning. We see the city this morning. But they're, when they look at us, they're directed upward. They're directed to Jesus Christ. That is our decision this morning that we can be.